if I just, if I could sum up tonight in just a brief statement, um, I, I don't think it's, I don't think any of us have a difficult time knowing, not just believing, but knowing there is evil in the world. I mean, I think it's, it's clear. Um, and, and so, you know, so the question is, how do I resist evil? What does this have to do with the Bible? What does this have to do with God? What does it have to do with prayer? It has everything to do with the person of Jesus Christ, the scriptures, and with prayer. And if I said, as I said, if I could sum up tonight, um, I would say this. The way I resist evil primarily is by learning to talk to and listen to God and by getting to know his love for me and his truths through the scriptures. And uh, so in, in John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is recorded by John as saying this. This is important. He says, if you abide in my word. Now, that, that word abide simply means to, to live in, uh, to remain. Again, you, you talk about your house. Your house is an abode, right? So if you live in my word, if it's a part of you, you are truly my disciples. Okay? What he's saying here is this. If you live in my word, you are... Truly my disciples, you're in Christ and you're no longer in Adam and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you'll know the truth about what? You'll know the truth about God and who he is. You know the truth about evil. The Bible calls evil a person, not an entity, but a person, Satan himself. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free from what? Set you free from lies, set you free from error. You'll know the truth. And who doesn't want to know the truth? I want to know the truth. I don't want to believe lies. And so if what the Bible is telling us is true, and Jesus actually said this, if you abide in my word, the word that he says was given to us by him through the disciples, you are truly my followers, my lovers, my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that is what we are looking for in life. We're looking for meaning and purpose and direction. We want to believe the truth. We don't want to believe a lie. Nobody wants to believe a lie. The question is, is this word of God the truth? And so the more we know God, the more aware we are of the efforts of evil to set us, to set against us truth and error. The efforts of evil are there to set against us, and they're set against us personally, and they're set to not allow us to see the power of God that is working against the works of the evil one. And we see evil, and, and I think we can all attest to this, we see evil in the world around us. And I think we would have to say, because Jesus said this, we see at oftentimes evil coming from outside of us. Remember, Jesus said, out from the heart come these evil acts, words, and intentions. And then we, so we see from the world around us, the flesh within us, and the Bible tells us devils among us. So tonight, how can I, how can you, how can we resist evil, not just resist, how can we resist evil and win. Um, so we're talking about, in 21st century America tonight, we're talking about the devil. Oh, really? I mean, how archaic? We're going to talk about the devil. Well, uh, according to the Bible, 
there is a devil and demons. So there's, there's four things that tonight I want us to, to look at and consider about the devil and demons. It, Tim Keller helps us out through a sermon that he preached called Spiritual Warfare. So, so things to consider about Satan. That possibly we don't believe in demons because we are being simplistic and naive to not believe. I mean, we live in this technological world, growing technological world. How can we believe those things? Well, if what the Bible says is true, possibly you and I are being simplistic and naive not to believe. Or maybe we're being culturally narrow because most of the world does believe in demons and personal evil. Or you believe in God. You believe in God whom you cannot see. We believe in God whom we cannot see. Why not demons that we cannot see? Or if the Bible is true and there are demons, there's no way to really respond to them successfully without being in Christ and being in the Bible. And so, things for us to consider. Maybe we're being simplistic and naive to not believe. We're being culturally narrow. If we believe in God, why not demons? If the Bible's true and there are demons, there is really only one way to attack successfully. And the Bible teaches from from Genesis to Revelation that there is an angelic being who fell. He rebelled against God and took a third of the angels with him. How many ever a third is, that number is, I'm sure, a vast number. And they oppose God and they desire to, most importantly, keep you and me from knowing the truth of who God is. That's their desire. The Bible clearly states to destroy men and women And most importantly, keep us from the true knowledge of God. And in both the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, there's 47 passages directly that mention Satan. Another 33 where it speaks of the devil. And those are predominantly in the New Testament. And uh, you you could look in your your study guide here. And we can see uh, Satan in the garden, in the book of Job. Among dealing with Jesus, tempting Jesus and his disciples, and even more. And the issue is not this. Hard to believe is not the issue. The issue is, is this true or is this false? The issue of demons. Um, Let's just think about this. Just follow some thought progression here. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus died, right? You have to die if you're going to be resurrected. And the reason he died was to free us from our sin and death. That's what the scripture says. We're going to look at a scripture in a moment to talk to us a little bit more about that. The reason he had to die was because our parents, Adam and Eve, caved into the lies and the temptations of the serpent in the garden, which birthed us into death because we have inherited from our progenitor, Adam, a sin nature, spiritual DNA, which is dead. And this serpent is also known as the devil or Satan. See, the scripture says, John writes in his letter to those who are in Christ, he writes this, the purpose the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I don't know how much thought you give to this. I don't give a whole lot of thought to this. And I'm not sure that I should, actually. 
But this is a big deal in Scripture. And as we open this up tonight, just open up Scripture tonight, just maybe let's open up our minds a little bit more to see that things that you and I can or cannot see can harm us. It's important to know that. And if there is a devil, we need to take heed as to his work personally against us. If this is true, think about this. I think we need to take this personally. Because if his intention is on every one of us to not surrender our lives to the God of grace and truth, then we need to take that fairly seriously. According to the scripture, if we don't allow the work of Jesus to destroy Satan's work in our lives, then simply put, Satan will destroy our lives. And that should get our attention. Peter writes to those in Christ, he writes this, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, be alert. Your adversary, your, by the way, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's subtle, seeking someone to, this is a pretty strong word here, devour. Now, if you were the only person in the, wor- in, in the room tonight and I was talking to you, and I just said this specifically to you, If this is true, this should get our attention. This should get us to sit up a little bit and go, um, I don't think I'm going to need coffee tonight. Um, This is is a ceiling starer moment here for us to consider, is this really true? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking you to devour. In the dash and then forever. If that's true, that's something for us to take attention to. Again, it brings Keller's point number four to us. If the Bible is true and there are demons, no way to really deal with them without the answers given to us through the scripture. Because the Bible says Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. And the major one is to keep us from being transferred from Adam into Christ, which we'll talk more about. About This is what Wayne Grudem, Bible teacher, author, wrote. He said, if Scripture gives us a true account of the world as it really is, then we must take seriously its portrayal of intense demonic involvement in human society. Our failure to perceive that involvement with our five senses simply tells us that we, that's you and me, have some deficiencies in our ability to understand the world, not That demons do not exist. And so the issue really isn't whether or not I can see demons. um, Because there's lots of things that you and I cannot see that can harm us. For example, um, something like this. Now, do you know what this is? Some of you do because you've been to Alpha before. But if you've not been to Alpha before, you know what this is? Um, This is a dust mite. Thankfully, it's not actual size. It's not um, actual size, but um, <clears throat> but dust mites um, are you know also known as bed bugs, but they're not necessarily bed bugs. But just to give you a little bit of um, just for us to follow the science here for a moment, I have got some various scientific sources here um, about bed bugs. So, so where do these things hang out? Well, beds are the primary habitat. Um, 
where a third of our lives take place if you sleep about eight hours. A typical used mattress may have anywhere from 100,000 to 10 million mites inside. Isn't that great news? Oh, no, there's more. Don't worry, there's more. There's more. 10% of the weight of a two-year-old pillow can be composed of dead dust mites and their droppings. So, but not to worry, not to worry, because mites only prefer warm, moist surroundings, such as New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, Wow. So such as the inside of a mattress when someone is lying on it. So anyway, I thought that was good. But I just want to let you know, tonight's Alpha is brought to you by my pillow. Yes, we want to thank Mike Lindell for sponsoring tonight's Alpha. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, But again, just because we can't see something doesn't mean we can't be harmed by it. Okay, I think maybe you're familiar. Anybody familiar with this Petri dish? Anybody? Any chemists here? Yes, Edward? No, you don't know. Okay. Um, This is the swine flu virus. All right. I mean, a bunch over the swine flu virus. They were finally able to isolate the swine flu virus where they were able, where it actually originally came from. And that's why it didn't cause the problem that we thought it would. And so this is what they were able to find that finally took care of that. So, 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 okay. All right. So enough of that. Um, So just because we cannot see certain things, it does not mean that they cannot harm us. They are there and our seeing them is really irrelevant. What we cannot see can hurt us and sometimes does. So So let's look at the microscope of Scripture because the microscope of Scripture brings us into the spirit realm to see things that you and I would not see, but for God's word, bringing light and magnifying light for us, that we might to some degree comprehend the presence of things that desire to deceive us, to devour us in the dash and forever in the line. Well, let's look at what are some of the devil's tactics? Well, the Bible teaches that Satan has some deceptive devices to keep us from thinking biblically about him. And if we haven't read the scripture, it's going to be difficult to think biblically if we don't know what the scripture tells us. So through the ages, we get these kind of ghoulish or caricature-like images of evil. We get them through sometimes religious, but non-biblical thinking, artwork, stuff like that. We get it through movies, through TV, the arts, video games. Oh my gosh, video games music, and various other media. And Satan is all too happy to use the fiction of Halloween or Hollywood to accomplish these purposes. I mean, how many, how many horror movies have actually been made? For some reason, we are drawn to the macabre. You notice that? It's kind of interesting. And, so, and where do we get our theology from 
concerning Satan. Do we, do we get it from the church lady? Remember? Could it be Satan? Do you remember that? I mean, just... Um, and so the more we laugh at these things, the more we kind of shrug them off as not really having any actual effect on us. Um, it was Jack Black in the 2009 Music TV Awards who led the entire nation and all those gathered in the audience in a prayer to our dear dark Lord Satan. What a moment that must have been. And then, of course, not to be undone by that, by just one moment, then Fox put on the TV show Lucifer. Uh, and, um, well, Lucifer was canceled by the producers, and then shortly thereafter, Lucifer canceled the producers. And so... Um, so those things um, kind of happen. But again, we just kind of, we make light of these things and we just stop thinking if they could actually be real. It was C.S. Lewis who said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a secularist, someone who doesn't believe in the spirit realm at all, or a magician, someone's overly concerned, with the same delight. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a secularist or a magician with the same delight. We need to see that Satan fights on two fronts. And think about this. And he has at least two intentions. To keep you and me out of the wheelbarrow. From saying I do. From receiving the gift. To keep you and me in Adam, if you will. But if we have come to Christ, his second issue, having lost us, is to keep us as ineffective and non-relational with God Distracted by so many other things. And if we are not in the wheelbarrow, his aim is to totally destroy us. This is what Jesus had to say. He said this. He said, for the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He's speaking of Satan here. Now, what he says, he's, the thief comes only. That's all he does. 24-7, 365. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, the rest of that scripture says, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to keep us in Adam. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it in the dash and in the line forever. And Satan's work as well is to keep us blind to our true need. Here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving, not the physical eyes we're talking about here, but spiritual eyes of the unbelieving that they may not see, might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so his intention is to keep us from truly paying attention to these issues that are so very important and so around us, to keep us blinded, to keep us unbelieving, to not respond to the light of the gospel that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And he works through lies. And why wouldn't he work through lies? The Bible says he's the father of lies. You belong. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders here. The most religious people of the time. And this is what Jesus has to say to them. 
you belong to your father, the devil. Hmm. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, what are the father's desires? Steal, kill, destroy, deceive. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. We get in the picture here. There's nothing good that dwells in him. And he, he wants nothing good to dwell in you and me. And he does that by keeping us from the truth of God's liberating, loving, merciful deliverance to him. And he is a deceiver. I mean, he even uses religion to make us think we're okay when we're not. When we're still in the throes of our own meology, trying to be good enough in our own mind to get God to accept us. Uh, he, he deceives us by keeping, out of the, keeping us out of the Bible. When I, first scripture I read to you, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. What, what, is, what about truth that we read here? He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. So we see that what he's tell, God's telling us through Christ is we know the truth. The truth will set us free from him and his lies and his errors. He's a deceiver. He also does this. I mean, we see this in the, in the, uh, in the public square as well. Just remove God. From the public square, remove him from schools, remove him from the courts, remove him from any, anything that would bring any attention to him at all. Tear down anything that speaks of the truth of who God is. And we're seeing that all over the place. Um, so he also comes to distort the truth about God. And just think about some of these things. Um, you, I don't know, again, we've lived long lives, some of us, whether it's 20 years long or 50 years long or how many years long, but there's certain stereotypes about becoming a follower of Christ or just a, you know, what we would call, what I would have called a Jesus freak, a Bible thumper, you know, somebody that's so, so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good, that statement. Um, but okay. If, but if you come to Christ, you understand you're giving your life away. Don't you understand that? There's no more fun. You know? I mean, just, it's over. Just prepare to be boring your whole life and prepare to wear boring dress as well. You know, your clothing have to be, you know, just very dull. Don't draw any attention to yourself. Um, no, that's not true. Um, uh, if, if, you, if you surrender your life to Christ, uh, you, get a, you get an airline ticket uh, to Africa. It's one way. And you spend the rest of your life maybe on a missionary venture. Um, but you do get to spend more time on Bourbon Street. That's the good news. Um, but not with a hurricane in your hand. Uh, but with a, a, a big wooden cross and a microphone. See, it's just, this is what you have to do. Life is over. Fun is over. All good things are over. Uh, God's going to make you poor, too, by the way, because you're going to have to give all your money to the church. Did I tell you we're taking an offering tonight? Um, we, uh, so, um, and then you're going to lose all your friends because who wants to hang around you anymore? 
So again, very subtle, but very real in their thoughts that run through our head. And they could not be further from the truth because he's a liar and he is the father of lies. Now, but worse, worse yet, here's, here's, here's a lie. Maybe, maybe not. Worse yet, you're going to have to dress up in black and white and serve cake at every alpha from now on. That's what happens. These suckers, they didn't see it coming. Um, um, many years ago, I had a, um, and he's still a dear friend, went to high school, my closest friend in, um, in high school. Um, I had surrendered my life to Christ in college, but he and I had stayed in contact. He was, um, he was going to college here in New Orleans. He was at Tulane. I was up at, at, at LSU and, uh, we graduated and I continued to tell him about Jesus through the weeks and the months and the years and the years. And then, um, so this is the year 1993, I believe. And my dear friend was going through a tough time. And we talked about God and surrendering his life to Christ again. And, and much to my joy, he, he said, I do. He got in the wheelbarrow. He received the gift of Jesus Christ. His it, life just changed. It was dramatic. It was, it's fun still to this day. Um, and we had lunch a while back, um, but not, not that long after um, he had surrendered his life to Christ, said, I do to Jesus and he said to me while we're eating lunch, he said, you know, Frank, do you know what took me so long to surrender my life to Christ? Now, I'm thinking, I'm taking notes on this. So I said, no, I, I mean, this could be good alpha information. So just go ahead. What took you so long? I mean, this could be a slide, right? I mean, this is great. He said, what took me so long to come to, to believe in Jesus was you. Okay, um, I said, what do you mean? He said, I was scared I was going to have to become like you. <laughs> and the last thing I would ever want to be is like you. And I thought about that. And I thought, I don't want to be like me either. Um, <laughs> But, but how true that is, that I stand up here, I talk to you, people at your tables, your table hosts, just got, seem like they got it all together, but gum, do I have to do that? Am I going to have to be like that? No, a very subtle lie. You just be you in the wheelbarrow with Jesus, your temperament, your personality, your likes, your dislikes. Jesus changes all that however he wants to. But you're going to be you. You're not going to be me in you. You're going to be you with Christ in you. And if Jesus said, I came to give you life abundantly, uh, he meant that. But life abundantly as you with now Christ in you delivered from Sin and death and Satan's lies in the dash and forever. So another thing we see, particularly if in the wheelbarrow, that Jesus is called, pardon me, Satan is called the, the accuser of the believers. Here's what 
Here's what John writes in Revelation. He says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, those in, in Christ, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. And they overcame him. Okay, how do you resist evil? It's our question. How do you resist evil? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, they didn't overcome them by their own blood. They didn't overcome them by their multiplicity of works, trying to be good enough in their own meological relativistic efforts to be accepted by God. They, that's those in Christ, overcame him, resisted him fully by... The blood of the Lamb, by the work of someone else. And that work is the work of Jesus Christ and the word of their testimony. They believed and their testimony was that they received, right? To them, John 1.12, to as many as received him, but to those who believed in his name and received him, to them he gave the right to be an overcomer, one who overcomes the accuser. Because of the work of Christ and by the work of Christ even in us to have a word of testimony that says, I do. I'm yours. I'm no longer my own. And what happens there is an eternal hold that Satan has, would have had on you and me is ripped apart forever. You were taken out of Adam. I was taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. And he is no longer, he no longer has dominion over me. Does that mean he can't tempt me? No, it means he can still tempt me. But he cannot have me. Can I fail? Can I sin? Can I make intentional mistakes? Say things I shouldn't say? Do things I shouldn't do? Absolutely. Just like my earthly son does. But he is still my earthly son when he does those. And that same thing is true in Christ. When we are Christ, listen to me, when we're in Christ, we're not perfect sons and daughters of God. But we are perfectly sons and daughters of God. Do you understand that? My son, Annette's and my sons and daughter, are not perfect sons and daughters of Frank Loria and Annette Loria. But they are perfectly Sons and daughters of Frank Lloyd. Do you see the difference? They are fully ours. But they're not fully perfect. When we come to Christ, we are fully, completely his. And God sees us complete because of the blood of the lamb. The work of the cross. And that's security. And that's assurance. And that's God's promise if what this Bible tells us is true. And these are the temptations. Now, I know you're going to relate to these temptations. So I want us to, to hear them. You may want to write these down. You want to take a picture with your cell phone or whatever. This is more help from Tim Keller. His accusations and temptations. To look more at our sinful work or our sinful actions than the Savior's work. Now, do you understand that? To be more intent and focused on what we have done wrong than what Christ did for us right. And I mean, isn't that our ten tendency? You do something wrong, you feel like garbage. You get down on yourself. This is what we do. 
But this is a temptation and an accusation to look more at our sinful work than the Savior's work. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. To obsess over looking at past sins, failures, indiscretions, where the result of the sin or sins cannot be undone. Ouch. You can't do anything to change what you did. So you just have to linger in that guilt and condemnation the rest of your life. Hmm. That's a lie. Maybe the results can't be changed. But guess what has been changed? You're not an Adam anymore. You're not condemned anymore. You're forgiven forevermore. That's promise. Third, we think that current difficulties are a result of or punishment from God for past sins. It's called karma. Really. Karma got you. That's what we think. You know, you're just, you're just paying for your sins. That's what you're doing. Now, look, there's no question that there are sins, that there are results that take place. But we're not paying for them. And if what the Bible says is true, we're not paying for them because somebody else paid for them. And that's how we overcome the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome him by the Savior's work. Okay? And the last one, I think, this is so good, because this is so bad, but this is so deceptive and subtle. To cause us to believe that we wouldn't have sinful desires, or we wouldn't be in the mess we're in, if we were really followers of Christ. So you've come to Christ, let's say. Say, you know, you've gotten in the wheelbarrow. You're committed you're no longer, you know, you may, you may still be curious and convinced, but you're committed. I, I, I'm not a, I think you can be committed and still curious and convinced. But cause us to believe that we wouldn't be, have sinful desires or wouldn't be in the mess we're in if we were really followers of Christ. That is not true. There will still be those issues, as I mentioned just a moment ago, of caving into temptation. But our stand before God, again, is not based on how good we are, if what the Bible says is true. Our freedom from Satan and our having been made an overcomer is because of the work of someone else on our behalf and our believing and receiving. And that is good news because we can linger in this our whole lives and maybe a few of us still do because maybe we can't believe that that great news could really be that great and that God did that just for you and just for me. That is great, great news. So, and how do we know that that is true? Well, if the scriptures is true, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote under the direction of the Holy Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death is what we are in when we are in Adam, there is therefore now and never will be 
any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because there's nothing left to condemn. Christ Jesus has taken on all of our sins, our selfishness, our desire to be God. He's taken it all on himself. So there's no more condemnation to put out. It's all gone. It's all absorbed in the person of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on that cross, the Bible is clear that he died. Now, none of us is that old. Right, to have been there when Jesus died. But he died for all of our sins, all of our past sins, all of our present sins, and all of our future sins. The sins that you and I are yet to commit. <clears throat> tonight before you go to bed. Before you leave here tonight. What you may be thinking of me right now. Whatever it may be. Okay? He died for all sin. He took all of them, the collective sins of you... And me for all time. And he drank that to the dregs. He fully took all of our sins against him. So that Paul could say. Jen, there's no more condemnation. Denise, there's no more condemnation. If you're in Christ, you have nothing to be guilty about. Because Christ bore all of your guilt. All of your shame. He did all of that. And so, that's what, that's what the scripture teaches us. But Paul goes on to say this as he writes to the Corinthians. He says, but I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness... Your mind shall be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion, if I may, of devotion, of knowing and trusting and loving and serving Christ. Lest as the serpent deceived Eve, your minds, through what goes on in your mind and what takes place in your day, you could be led astray from believing that you are fully forgiven, fully accepted by God through simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He wants to keep us, Satan does, from experiencing the depths of relationship with God that he has for us with him and with those in the wheelbarrow with us. So we could look here and see there's... How do we resist evil? There are three ways, at least three ways. And those make it up our last two weeks. Reading God's word. Consuming God's word. Asking God to give us revelation of what he wrote to us. And then we talked about prayer last week. If you missed last week or the week before, please go back Lakeview Christian Center, YouTube page, uh, channel, and watch the, that last week's talk on prayer if you if you would, please. Uh, so, the, the word of God, we, aver, we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. By prayer, communicating with God, keeping our relationship with him fresh. 
but also through our being together. There's a power in unity of brothers and sisters, of those who are in Christ, walking together, praying for one another, reading scripture together, reasoning together. There's, there's strength in that as well. And that keeps us growing and growing in the strength that God has given us. He wants us to know that. So page 67, what is the position of the person that is in Christ? Now look, understand this. We talked about this. There are only two positions. God recognizes only two positions. Okay, there's, there's, no, there's no median. There's, there's no neutral ground. There's not, you know, one foot in. This, this doesn't happen, just so you know. You're not, you're not one foot in Adam and one foot in Christ. Okay, you are fully, I am either fully in Adam or fully in Christ. I'm not half alive or half dead. I'm dead, dead or alive, alive, according to what the scripture says. So what is the position? Well, let's look at these two addresses for a moment. The Bible says he, Christ, delivered us out of the domain, the dominion, the abode of darkness. That's one location. That's in Adam, according to the scripture. And he transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son. He placed us into Christ. So let's just look at a little graph here of what that looks like. So the Bible talks about us having a change of address and an exchange of lives. A change of address and an exchange of lives. And here is the address called the dominion of darkness and the address called the kingdom of light. The abode of darkness, the abode of Light, two different locations. Now, according to the scripture, and again, hear what the scripture is saying. Those who are callous or confused or even curious or convinced, according to what the scripture says, are still in Adam, still under the dominion of darkness. In the kingdom of light are those who are Committed, those who have said, I do, those who have received the gift, those who are in the wheelbarrow, those who have recognized, I need someone to rescue me from my sins. And we've got a little handout for you guys tonight if you want that after I'm finished. And so what does this represent? Okay, who, who's living in the dominion of darkness? What's living in the dominion of darkness? Satan, sin, still in my sins, uh, death, right? Separated from God is death, slavery or bondage to sin. I just can't get out of this. There's no way to be delivered in the dominion of darkness. It doesn't matter if you overcome horrific uh, abuse or vice of any sort. If you overcome that and you're still in Adam, according to the scripture, I mean, it'd be wonderful for your friends and family that you're not any longer given over to those things, but you're still in Adam. The greatest problem is not that you're giving yourself over to different vices. That's secondary. This is the biggest problem if what the Bible says is true. You're still an Adam. Be the best person in the world. Still an Adam. If I, that, was, that was me, I would still be in Adam in the dominion of darkness. Destruction. There's nothing but destruction waiting in the dominion of darkness. Another accoutrement of the dominion of darkness is confusion. What's the truth? 
Which way do I go? What is life about? How do I get meaning? I just go from one thing to the next, trying to find meaning and purpose. I just don't know. And then deception. We've talked about that. Continuing to believe what I think is the truth when in fact it is not. So what are the accoutrements of the kingdom of light? Well, oops, I, f- I forgot one, sorry. Fear. I mean, not leave out fear. Because we don't know. There's no certainty. There's no assurance. The kingdom of light, Jesus, always, never leaving, never turning his back, always, because we're in Christ. And the Bible also teaches that Christ is in us. Forgiveness. We talked about that, full forgiveness. We have life. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it to the full. Freedom and power in Christ over sin, whatever that is, the power is there to overcome those things that would continue to attempt to drag us down or keep us from fully experiencing the God who loves us. So we've talked about we're saved. We're taken out of the dominion of darkness. We're rescued by Christ himself. We begin to get clarity of thinking. Things begin to make sense. Life begins to make sense. I cannot tell you the number of people that Annette and I have had the privilege of walking through and out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved light, kingdom of God's beloved son. And suddenly it, it's, I, I can't put the words to it. There is clarity There is a sense of, I I don't know how many people have ever told me, I feel like 2,000 pounds have just been taken off of my back. I can see. I understand. And I've heard this so many times. Why did it take me so long? Why did it take me so long? And my answer to that is, I have no idea. I don't know. Take that up with God in heaven one day. I don't know. Um, Truth. You know the truth, the truth, he who is the truth will make you free. And that freedom of union and relationship with him and communion with him and conversation with him. There is no freer freedom. Let me tell you, there is no freer freedom. There is no greater joy. There is no more fullness of hope than in Christ. And then love. Ah. Again, such a, such a generalized word, word today, but we experience the God who calls himself love in ways in which in Adam it is simply impossible. Impossible. So how do we defend ourselves? Well, we need an understanding of how we are particularly tempted and our need for God to be our strength. And again, tonight, I just want to encourage you. We can invite him to take on the fight for us. Look, in Adam, you're going to have to fight evil yourself. And with all due respect, you will lose. You will lose in the dash. And you will lose forever. Now, my question tonight, again, is are we willing to bank our forever on our own abilities, on our own goodness, on our own sense of right and wrong. 
which have changed, by the way, if you're honest with yourself, have changed through the years. Things I never would have done. You know, I found myself doing, depending upon the mores or the group that I was associated with. I'm not going to talk about the classmates here because I know that could be, that could be dangerous. But, um, but that is the case. There is a truth that does not change, and his name is Jesus. And the way I resist evil, if what the Bible says is true, is by resting in and trusting in him. Look at what he did. Talk about rescue. Here's rescue. He himself put on his work clothes. He put on flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. Now, he either did that or he didn't do it. And if he did do it, why did he do it? This is why. So that he would destroy him who has the power to eternally kill you and me. The devil. That's why he did that. Now, will I believe that and receive that? The Bible tells me if I do not believe that or receive that, I am on my own. And do we want to take that chance? What do we do? Well, here's what we do simply. James writes, submit to God. Get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> Trust him. Say, I do. Receive the gift. And when you do that, guess what you're going to do automatically? When you're submitting to God, guess who you're resisting? It just happens. When I submit to God, I am resisting the devil. And guess what happens? He flees. That's what James tells us. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And when you draw near to God and you surrender to him, he could never be nearer to you than he is. Feel it or not, you can never be nearer to him than, than you are to him and he is to you. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to close when I just want to show you this psalm from Psalm 18. Because this is the psalm for all who have gotten in the wheelbarrow, who have said, I do. And it is the promise for all of you who may be here tonight on the verge of saying yes to Christ. It's psalm 18. And I, I underlined... He, the word he, it's not underlined in the scripture. I did that so we could again be made aware of who the initiator is. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. I was drowning. I was drowned. He delivered me from my powerful enemies. We know who that is. From those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was weakest, but... The Lord upheld me. He led me to a place of safety. Um, friends, this is the only place of safety in Christ. He rescued me. Why? Think about this. Because he delights in you. It's his good pleasure to come and be beaten and scourged and mocked and crucified. Why? What the Bible says is true because he delights in you. God, who created all things, 
set his delight on you and delights in you. What good news that is. See, the way to resist evil is to stop resisting the one who defeated evil. <laughs> think about that. The way to resist evil is to stop resisting the one who says, I've come to rescue you. Stop flailing around in the water and surrender to me. So that we could be joined to him in the dash now and forever for him. And that can only happen, according to the Bible, by running to the one who came to deliver us from the devil in this life and the next. And so that's the decision. I resist evil according to the Bible by no longer resisting the one who has come for me because he delights in me, because he delights in you. And so tonight, as, as we close, um, I want to do this. I just want to just take a quick moment to pray and then we'll take a break and you get back to your tables and then next week we'll be in session eight we go from how do i resist evil to next week who is the holy spirit so we're gonna kind of point counterpoint um for next week but let me just take a moment and pray for us god um I'm praying right now because I believe you're listening. I believe you're here. And I believe you know every one of every, everyone's name and everyone's heart that is in this room tonight. Because your word says your delight is in each and every one of us. And Lord, tonight we pray and we pray for one another that we would know that, that you did reach down to rescue us, to draw us out of deep waters as we were drowned in our sins and rebellion. That you came to deliver us from this evil enemy who hated me and longed for me to die in my sins. Lord, uh, I just want to pray for you for a moment. If, if you are tonight, you want... Again, this has nothing, do you understand? This has nothing to do with denomination or the church you attend. It has nothing to do with any of that. This is about you and Jesus, period. And if tonight you just want to say, I do to him, just receive. Just say, Lord, I receive you. May 10th, 2022. Rescue me. Because you delight in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's take a quick break. Thank you all so much again for being here. We look forward to seeing you next week.